Tonight's story comes to a scary home companion from a long-time listener of the show. Over the last few months, this woman has become a good friend of show correspondent Marianne Simpson, and finally Marianne convinced her to let us share the incredible story of her and her son. This boy is sweet and innocent, and should remain that way for as long as possible. So we're changing his name and changing the name of his family as well. This kid is special. I've met him. He's fun, he's smart, he's energetic, he's very aware of what goes on around him. I tell you this so that you keep in mind that this isn't a story about a friend of a friend of a cousin of a friend. This isn't something that happened way back in the day. It's not something that I heard about on Reddit. This is real. This is here. This is now. This is a story very much still in progress. Marianne told me that they had jokingly referred to David as the baby ghost whisperer. And I suppose that's as good a place as any to start. Drinking whiskey in the kitchen and telling scary stories around the fire. Music, monsters, and mayhem, killers, cannibals, and cults, fearful fiction and furious fact, tall tales, and terrible truths. This is a scary home companion. David's mother didn't feel comfortable coming on the show to tell her story. She did, however, write down several of her experiences, and I would like to read those to you now. From the day we brought him home from the hospital... David had clear eyes, sharp eyes, eyes that were always watching the things around him. Nothing escaped David. Doctors always tell new parents that babies can't really focus on things that aren't directly in front of them. They just tend to gaze wherever. Not David. He would stare entranced by something directly over my shoulder almost any time I fed him in our house. Not in other homes, just ours. This was the same house where we had one toy, a little spinning robot sort of thing, that always ended up in the middle of the spare bedroom. Same place within a few inches, several times a week, no matter where I had put it away. It would randomly turn on in the middle of the night in this room and say, Come play with me. This kind of thing runs in my family, but usually only in the women. My great-grandmother had prophetic dreams about things that would happen to her and her children, all of which came to pass. My grandmother watched her uncle get murdered by his wife in her dream so vividly 
that she could feel the pain in her chest and her head, the same spots where he was bludgeoned as he slept. This too came to fruition. I myself have dreamt of my stepfather asking for my forgiveness and promising me to never return, only to find out the next morning he had died during the night. My son, however, has it differently. He doesn't have to be asleep. He sees things, and he has since birth. Local teacher Jude Lee watched David in daycare when he was four years old. In that time, she forged a close connection with him, a connection springing no doubt from the drowning death of her own young son that had happened many years before David was even born. Jude is still haunted to this day. David got along great with the other kids. When it came time to focus, things were a bit trickier. He was very easily distracted. I'm not one of these ADHD deniers, but this wasn't that. It was something else. He was actually being distracted by something. It was just not something anyone else could see. I noticed that he had started leaving a little piece of his snack in the back corner. A couple of grapes, a few chips, something, you know? I asked him why and he said he was leaving it for the sad little boy in the back of the room. He told me that the boy was there every day. He was there before anyone else in the morning and stayed after everyone else left. That he followed me around. He was soaking wet every day. And he never got dry. The way David described him, I knew it was him. It was my boy. He was still with me after all this time. My husband, myself, and David moved to a new city and a new rental house when he was about 10 months old. He was just learning to talk. This house was built in 1973. It was always very dark there. It had these small windows that were set up high on the walls. There was a long, narrow hallway that stretched the length of the house. When you were standing at one end of it at night, it felt like you were looking into a cave in which you have no idea what is hiding. There was something about that house that gave me the willies. There was one afternoon, David was in his crib, crying and crying, and although it was hard, I was letting him cry it out. This is important sometimes. And then suddenly he stopped crying. There was quiet, and then there was laughing. He laughed for a little while, and then he said, Okay, bye-bye. And that gave me goosebumps. But what really threw me a loop was the following night. My husband had been working late at this point in our lives together, and so David and I were alone quite a bit. This creepy house wasn't so big that we really needed the baby monitor, 
but after what had happened the day before, I wanted to be extra alert. I awoke just after midnight to hear David cooing and babbling. And he's not upset. He's just talking, like he talked to me, like he would talk to my husband. Except, what he's saying is help, 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 over and over. What was scary wasn't him at all, because it was clear that my baby wasn't asking for help. He was repeating, parroting, just like he did with me and my husband, almost as if someone was standing next to his crib asking for help. A few weeks later, another night alone. It was cold outside, and I was in David's room with him. I turned out the light only to notice small, child-sized handprints on the window. The window started at about five feet up. I had to drag a chair over to it to get a good view. There was no way a child could have reached it. When I got closer, I saw that these little handprints were on the outside of the glass. A few more months passed. I was doing laundry. The laundry room was right next to the playroom where David was playing with his cars. Suddenly, there was a scream. The scream of an adult male, and it sounded like he was in terrible pain. I was sure that it had come from inside the house, but I checked and David was alone in his room. I ran around to all the windows and doors to see where that horrifying scream had come from, but there was nothing and no one there. David sat calmly watching me run around, and then he said, Mommy, he was scared. Arliss Taven was the first person to build his home on this tract of land. He has been, and remains to this day, the nearest neighbor to David and his family. His actions are well documented, but Mr. Taven wanted the chance to go on the record with the details the media chose to ignore. Recently, I spoke with Mr. Taven about the first time he met David face to face. I'd seen the boy around the neighborhood. Knew his folks to say hi to, but you don't buy two acres out here in the hinterlands because you want to hang out with people, right? So no, to answer your question, the boy had never been over here before. If he knew my name, I would have been surprised because I didn't know his. It was Saturday afternoon. I think I'll. I'll always remember that clearly. I was working on grandfather clock in the living room. Hadn't worked right in a long time. I would lose time, just stop entirely, then decide to chime randomly. Anyway, doorbell rings and the boy, David, he's on the doorstep. He says to me, she's not dead yet. 
I didn't know what to say to that. He points at my clock and he says, See? The clock started chiming. The pendulum wasn't swinging, but it chimed out 12. The boy's mother was shouting at him from the backyard, apologizing to me. I didn't know what to make of it. Not at the time. Then a few weeks later, the clock chimed 12 again. It made me think back to what the boy had said that day. So I got up. Well, you know what happened next. The letter continues. We moved into a new house, one that we built. This house sits on an open acre of land on the edge of a forest, gorgeous land, and our nearest neighbor was half a block and a quarter mile away. David was three at this point and ahead of the curve in every way possible. Of course a mother would say that, but with David, it was true. David liked this house, except he didn't like the edge of the forest. He said that tree monsters live there. Odd things continued to happen at this place. One night, I was taking the garbage down to the road, and David asked me who the person under the tree on the other side of the street was. I didn't have an answer for him. There was no one there. Another day, we were playing in our front room. There's a glass door to this room. At one point, David stopped playing to ask me, Who's that man behind you? But of course, there was no one there. My husband has always denied that there was anything different about David. And this was not so much willful blindness so much as a Dana Scully level of skepticism. And that is one of the reasons I love him. We are such a balance for one another. But there was one night that almost had him convinced. I heard over the baby monitor, David started crying from his bedroom. I'd started using the monitor again after the first few weeks in this house. It just made me feel more comfortable to be able to hear him. And then the crying turned into screaming, and I ran into his bedroom thinking that David was having night terrors again. All he could say was that he was scared of the monsters from the woods, because now they were in the walls, on the roof, under the floor, and they kept asking him for help. They wouldn't let him sleep. I gathered him up in my arms and took him to the living room. We parked it on the couch to watch a little Disney Channel and calm down. As we were snuggling on the couch, not ten minutes later, my husband comes tearing out of our bedroom with a wild look on his face. He asked me how long we'd been sitting there because he had just heard someone whimpering for help on the baby monitor from David's room. There has been 
controversy surrounding Amber's story, so she requested we withhold her last name. Some online commenters question her recollection of what happened that night. Some say she was lying. Others say she was hiding the real events of the night she babysat for David. It was just an accident. A freak, you know, occurrence. Of course. I've seen your official statement. So you know that I don't have a ghost story to tell you. I know what they say about David, but he was just a normal kid as far as I ever saw. Let's start at the beginning, okay? Had you watched David before that night? I'd watched him a bunch of times, but it was always in the day. This was the first night I had been there, which was okay. I like David, and I like the house, except for the doors. Hmm. What was wrong with the doors? They were always popping open. Even if you locked them, they would still come open. David always said it was people who came from the woods and opened them. But you never saw anything unusual. Oh, he was always saying weird stuff like that. So what happened that night, Amber? It was normal at first, but after it got dark, he got really scared for some reason. He kept pointing to the back door, the one that faces the woods, and it was always open. I mean, I must have shut it like five times that night. And was he opening it? No. He said they were, that they wanted me to go outside, but that I shouldn't. He said to not go outside no matter what, because they were waiting for me. And who were they? There was no one there. I mean, I thought I saw someone, but... Go on. That door was open again. I went to close it again, and I thought I saw someone out in the woods. But it was just a shadow, I think. I went out to the back door to take a look, but there was no one. And then the door slammed on me, and I mean, it's all black after that. Amber suffered traumatic injuries from the glass of the door breaking on her head. She sustained lacerations to her scalp and neck, one of which was severe. She lay there on the floor, bleeding, unconscious, and slowly dying. But she was not dead yet. Within moments, the neighbor, Arliss Taven, arrived at the house thanks to David's cryptic warning weeks before. His timely arrival and the quick application of first aid saved Amber's life. But there was David, who had found a way to see her life saved that night. The letter from David's mother concludes. When we got home that night, police cars were parked up and down the street. They were questioning Arliss, and Amber was already at the hospital. I ran inside to find my son. There was a police officer standing outside of David's room, and David himself was still in bed, pretending to be asleep. I pretended to believe him and leaned down to kiss him goodnight. When I was in close... He whispered, Is she okay? I told him that she would be very soon. Then he said, 
she shouldn't come back here. He will just try again. I asked him, who will? And David whispered, I can't say. He's right behind you. He's always behind you, looking over your shoulder. Thank you for listening to another episode of A Scary Home Companion. Send feedback for the show to a scary home companion at gmail.com. Or find us on Facebook and Instagram under the same name. You can subscribe to the show through Buzzsprout, Spotify, Stitcher, iTunes, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, or any number of platforms. This episode was edited by Jeff Davidson, produced by Jeff Davidson and Jamie Lee Hensley, guest starring the voices of Dan Jopling, Sarah Hansen, and Brandy Stone. It was, of course, written by David's mother, who shall remain nameless for now. Music for the episode was provided by Ian Alex Mack with Ghost Strings, Stillborn Blues with Crossroads Ghost, and Carlos Ramirez with 12 Around 1. Links to all of this is in the show's notes. Thank you.